following is a message at Living Savior Church in Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. To learn more, go to lsavior.org. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. St. Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, in that first reading, he, he dropped us into the beginnings of the very first Christian church. It was Jerusalem. It was about seven weeks after Jesus was crucified. Throughout those seven weeks, Jesus had proved himself again and again that he had risen, that he was alive. He appeared to a a group of women who followed him and admired him and supported him. He appeared privately to Peter to restore him to be one who, who feeds his sheep. He appeared to the apostles on on several occasions. He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, we're told. And then before his disciples' awestruck eyes, he ascended into heaven till a cloud hid him from their sight. Two angels announcing that he would come back in the same way you've seen him go. And now at the end of the seven weeks, the very first Christian church is born right there in Jerusalem. It's a remarkable day, this day called Pentecost. Peter and the other apostles boldly proclaim the the death of Jesus at the hands of wicked men. They they, they announce also the, the eyewitness testimony, their own eyewitness testimony, that he's, he's risen. They urge their listeners to repent of whatever they had done in disobedience to him and, and, and to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Then, Jesus pouring out his Holy Spirit, not just on the witnesses, but on those who heard them, he, he gives birth to the first Christian church. That day, we're told, 3,000 people were baptized and, and brought to faith in Jesus. And then, as we read, they, they gathered regularly in the vast courtyard of the temple. They met together in each other's homes, eating together. They, they shared whatever they had to, so, to help anyone who had need. They, they prayed together. And right off the top, St. Luke's first description of that first Christian church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That doesn't surprise any of us, does it? That doesn't surprise us at all. You and I come to expect that. The apostles, after all, were trained in the teaching of Jesus. They they had witnessed his miracles and understood that that proved Jesus to be the Son of God. They, They had heard his promises and had the ability to share them. They understood the meaning of his death and the meaning of his resurrection. They they were well equipped to teach the word of Christ. And that first Christian church, that first flock 
of the shepherd. They, they recognize their Savior's voice in, in the words of the apostles, and they, they adhered to those words. They devoted themselves to them. They, they paid full attention to them. They, they grew in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, their shepherd, through his word. That never surprises us, does it? We should expect that the church is the Lord's flock that listens to his voice. Now here's here's the surprise. Here's the, the huge surprise. The members of this first Christian church, we're told, during those early weeks, were enjoying the favor of all the people. Did you catch that and think about that? Apparently, everybody in Jerusalem admired these Christians, even those who, who were too afraid to, to, to join their ranks. They, they were admired because they took care of the poor. They were admired because they obviously loved one another. They, they, they found favor because they had a gentle spirit. They found favor because they were patient, even with those who did not yet believe. Those thousands of believers... In Jerusalem, that's the surprise. They enjoyed the favor of all the people because that's not the way it normally it is, is. That's not what you and I should expect. Today we're, we're reading something that the Apostle Peter wrote 35 years later. And Peter had learned from hard experience. And so did those he was writing to that that's not what you should expect. The church, the churches, the flocks that he was writing to were living up near the the Black Sea. And the apostle addresses them as exiles because even though this was their homeland, they, they no longer fit in. Matter of fact, they were experiencing what the church in Jerusalem had first experienced. Remember this? That one Pentecost day, there were 3,000 who were baptized and brought to faith. The Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were being saved so that eventually it became 5,000. But then, within a matter of weeks or months, a great persecution broke out in Jerusalem. And many of them, perhaps most of them, had to flee to the neighboring regions of Judea and Samaria. Even there, they were, they were hated for what they stood for. They were threatened. They, they were arrested. A number of them were, were put to death. And as, as the church scattered even further because of, of, of persecution, persecution became sort of the name of the game. So that even as they were doing good things, wherever wherever they went, they they suffered in the name of Jesus. That's the norm. That's what you and I, we come to expect. That's what happens when we follow in Jesus' footsteps. Peter has written that out for us here. That that's what God's people learn is the normal thing. But you've experienced that, haven't you? Care for someone enough to 
tell her the truth about some destructive habit of hers or some addiction that she may be, be becoming enslaved to. Care, care enough for somebody to tell them the truth and they may respond with questioning your motive or, or, or your, your own character. You suffer for doing good. Share with somebody who's obviously in need and they, they may respond by criticizing you for your privileges or, or your advantages. You, you suffer for doing good. Do an assignment at school honestly or write the test with, 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 without, with, without any, any hidden ways of, of, of taking advantage and those who cheat on the assignment or on the, on the test may end up receiving a better grade than you. Yeah, you, you suffer for doing good. Express respect for God-appointed governing officials. Romans chapter 13. Say that even those you disagree with, you're, you're going to honor them because of the position that God has put them in. And, and you may get criticized for being naive or, or not politically savvy enough. You, you suffer for doing good. Or how about this one? You devote a good portion of your time to worshiping the Lord. And another good portion of your time to, to reading his word and thinking about it. And, and another good portion of your time to responding to the word with, with prayer. And you end up maybe falling behind those who are using their time for what appear to be more practical activities. You, you suffer for doing good. When you've come to know that by experience, you come to also know that the devil is this roaring lion. He's looking to bring us down in those situations, looking, looking to tear us down and, and cause us to, to despair and give up. You, you suffer for doing good and the devil has, has you thinking thoughts of self-pity. Woe is me. I'm trying to do all these good things for others and what good is it doing me? Or, or he, he, he has you taking the, the cynical point of view how, every, how no good deed ever goes unpunished. He pounces on us with, with suggestions for self-pity or cynicism and in the meantime can, yeah, promise to, in a particular certain situations, just grow weary of doing good. Thank God we have such a, such a good shepherd. Through his ambassador, Paul, the Lord picks up the iron rod of his word and he, and he chases away that evil predator. And then he answers the question, why do good to, when you have to suffer for it? He tells us at the top of the apostles' list of answers is this, you do it, because you've been moved by your conscience to please God. You do it because you know right here and right here that 
this would honor God who watches what you do. You know right here and right here in the conscience that God hears what you say and is pleased when you, when you speak well even under duress. If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, Peter writes, this is commendable before God. This is a fine thing that, that pleases God immensely. Why do good when you suffer for it? The good shepherd, Jesus, poses another reason for that. Through Peter, he tells us, you have been called for this. Some of the features of that calling are pretty familiar. When you were baptized, you were called away from simply fitting in and getting along with everybody, no matter what their opinions are. You've been called away from that to to do good for people, even the good that they're not exactly going to appreciate. You've been called away from simply pleasing yourself to, to pleasing God. And every time you hear the, the word of the Lord, you've been called away from fear and doubt about what's going to happen to, to confidence in God's grace and a, and a certain, future, certain hope for how the future is going to turn out. He called you away from guilt over your mistakes, over your sometimes cowardly actions, to the grace of his forgiveness. And here, yeah, right here in this passage, the Lord Jesus has called you for the rest of your life to suffer for doing good. Not just putting up with suffering for, for doing good, but seeing it as, an, as a Christ-like experience. Recently, I, I read an article entitled, How to Teach Your Child to Write. I was curious about that because it's been a long time since I learned how to write. And with all the technology, I wondered if it's, if it's changed at all. Turned out it hasn't. One of the tips given to those teaching a child how to write is you, you put a crayon or a pencil or some type of a marker in their hand and just, just encourage them to scribble and watch them as they learn how to put shapes on a page and lines on a page. Meantime, you're teaching them the, the shapes of the letters and the sounds of the letters. But as to actually how to teach a child how to write, here's one of the tips. Limit interaction with electronic devices. Those fancy gadgets, put them away because they can distract children just as much as they distract you and me. Instead, the tip was put a piece of lined paper in front of a child. And on that paper, the letters. And then teach your child how to trace the letter A and trace a B, and trace the letter C, and then in the space below to, to use the letter A as a model for their own letter A, and below the B, a letter B and C. And Why am I talking about this? Because in this passage, the Apostle Peter uses the word for that very thing. He uses the word for a, 
a letter bore that uh, a child then or now would use for following an example of a letter to learn how to write the letters themselves. Ex except in the passage written by the apostle, it's not the letters A, B, C, and D that are the model. No, it's the sufferings of Jesus that are the model. They become the model for how you and I deal with it as we ourselves suffer for doing good. Remember those last hours of Jesus' life? Peter had been thinking about those hours and having conversations about those hours for years. Maybe, maybe you have as well. When they sinned against Jesus by in two different courtrooms telling lies about him, Jesus himself committed no sin, Peter writes, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults against Jesus as he hung on the cross, Jesus did not retaliate. When he suffered while doing the good of the cross and paying the price to set us free, he made no threats. Instead, Peter writes, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly, just as I want to do and just as you will, following his example. You hear somebody describing all Christians in ways that are, that are just not true at all. Yet, yet no matter what you say in defense of the faith and no matter what you say in defense of, of faithful Christians, people think you're a fool for that. So you, you suffer for doing good following Jesus' example. Someone insults you for being naive and, and for lacking the, the power of reason as you center your, your confidence in, in biblical truth. You don't retaliate with insults of your own. Rather, you suffer for doing good, following the model of, of Jesus. Somebody puts you on the spot, even wants to humiliate you with some, some creative question they've come up with including the one that many of us have heard. You know the question. If God is so wise and God is so good and God is so powerful, why is there so much evil in the world? Why doesn't he just eradicate it? And, and you answer the question by pointing out that God's ways are higher than our ways. And, and you answer the question by, by explaining that the, the, the good, the excellence, the purity, the holiness that God has in mind for his people, that ultimately is given perfectly in heaven itself. And yet, nobody believes what you say. Nobody takes it seriously and you, you suffer for doing good following Jesus' example. Or how about something this simple? You love some, somebody because before God, that's the right thing to do. You show your love to them unselfishly, generously, patiently, and they hardly give you any, any love in return. 
You're suffering for doing good, following Jesus' example. In this passage that the Apostle Peter wrote, he, he draws from the prophet Isaiah. That's the prophet who compels each of us to, to confess these words. We all, like sheep, were going astray. But the Lord laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And he suffered the ultimate suffering for that. And he died for that, to take that iniquity away. And, and, and since his resurrection by the Holy Spirit coming to us through, through word and sacrament, he draws us to himself. And, 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 and you and I, in Peter's words, have been returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. You and I are included in the good shepherd's flock. Where every day we, we enjoy his, his love and his grace and his protection. You, you and I are, are included in the shepherd's flock where we know he's going to feed us with, with his word and sacraments and, and, and lead us to the, to the quiet waters of his, of, of his truth and, and ultimately take us to our heavenly home. And you and I have been included in the shepherd's flock so that we might follow his example as occasionally, maybe even regularly, suffering for doing good. We'll do that good to the honor of his name. We'll do that word good to the glory of the Heavenly Father. We'll do that even suffering as we follow his outstanding example.